Hi, welcome to Financial Plan and Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner and owner and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. I'm pleased to also have as my co-host today, Kyle Ryan, who's one of my staff members, also a certified financial planner. Thanks for joining me, Kyle. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Um, so we've been running a series of case studies and what we've been doing is taking ideas of situations that we have that, that come to us, but throwing in changes, the facts, and so on and so forth. Um, certainly so, none of these cases are uh, factual as far as the exact facts, because what we do sometimes is take other pieces. We just use it as an idea to serve as a topic to talk about, because inevitably, you know, the purpose of the show is to provide an educational experience to the viewers. Okay, and so uh, these case studies, we try to pick off different things. And if you look at the six different areas of financial planning, you got the cash management, you got tax planning, you got risk management, which is insurance planning, you got investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. And uh, you know, a lot of the case studies that we've done in the past cover a bunch of different ones. In today's episode, what we're gonna do is in the first segment, we're gonna talk about uh, kind of a, a very niche case uh, situation, so to speak, because we've had similar things come through our doors and we kind of threw together for the purpose of discussion. And same goes with the second one. And it's the, the first one's going to be talking about uh, someone who is elderly and wants to sell their house and live in it. Second one's going to be talking about life insurance planning and things along that nature. So we've got two uh, during this segment. So, you know, let's get started. So uh, I'm going to kick this to you because you're the one who um, kind of developed the case study, if you will. Uh, we threw some bits and pieces. So why don't you present the, the case study, the facts, and, and everything else? Yeah, you know, coming across the situation a couple times and, you know, building a hypothetical around it, brainstorming really was what do you do in the case where you have, you know, an elderly individual who wants to sell their home to someone who's their beneficiary? in this particular case, their son. So, you know, hypothetically, you can start off and say, okay, this woman wants to sell her home to their son. It's worth around $200,000 and has a $50,000 mortgage. And she just doesn't want to pay the mortgage payment anymore, right? So you, you, we run into right. this case often where you get to a point where you don't want to have debt, you don't want to have monthly payments, you can't keep up with them, what Or you can't you? afford it. You can't afford it, so what do you do? You sell your home, you get a big chunk of change, and you use that to pay rent. Right. So, so, yeah, I'm sorry. So, so it, it, you jumped ahead a little bit in that what it started off with yep. is, and this is, again, we're calling this the case because this has happened to us on more than one occasion. You know, people have lived in their home. They're well into their 80s. You know, they've lived in that home for 40, 50 years, yeah. but they can't afford to live in the home anymore, yep. okay, whether it's a mortgage or cost of living has gone up, which it does. Cost of living for seniors goes up way faster yep. than pensions, which generally don't go up, and Social Security, which historically has gone up less than inflation, yep. and inflation for seniors is always higher because a Medical. larger percentage of a senior's uh, cost of living 
is in the medical. Yep. But they don't want to leave their home. Yep. So, so we run into these, or in this particular case, where they were talking about selling it or to their son, or the son offered to buy it, but basically what it came down to is they wanted to sell their home because they can't afford the mortgage. Yep. You know, what do you do? And, and you know, and, and it may not even be just the mortgage. They need the money. Now, oftentimes what people will do is a reverse mortgage. Yes. Okay, now we've seen that a bunch of times before where um, basically what happens is that the mortgage company, if you will, is basically providing you with an income stream and using the home as equity. Yep. The problem is, is once you reach a certain value, if, if you burn through more than 80% of the value, that could be problematic. You've got no equity in your home and very right. little income coming right. in. So, you know, alternatively, we, we're met with a situation in this particular case in which the son, the beneficiary, would like to purchase the home and the mother, the owner of the home, would like to sell it and get out of it and have that cash flow released from her. Well, the other thing, too, that happens in cases like this is that um, the problem with an elderly person selling their home is if they sell it to someone else outside the family. And they kick you out. Right. You can yep. get tossed. Or they may say, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll rent it to you. But two, three years later, they say, well, you know, I don't want you or they sell the house. The, the owner loses control. And that is a problem that you run into with elderly folks. It's not elderly. It's everybody. Nobody, nobody likes to lose control. Try taking the keys away from them. You know, that's my understanding. I haven't had to do that yet. But yep. you take the keys away from them and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, they lose control. So, so we've come across this a few times where instead of selling the home to get out from under the mortgage or selling the home, let's say in this case, selling the home for $200,000, and this way the mortgage gets paid off, okay? And then they say, well, gee, whew, now I don't have to pay the mortgage because that's cutting into their cost of living. And then they say, oh, well, I'll just use the $150,000 for rent. But I think it sounds great on paper, but it doesn't always necessarily work that well. And so there is a solution to this. Yep. And so we threw it out as Angie's son because this is a way of doing it. Yeah, so you know, conventional thinking, the, the traditional way of going about it would be the son would go get a mortgage from a traditional bank and just go and purchase the home outright. Right. right? You know, and most people are familiar with just the general process of going out and getting a mortgage. And you know this would be technically a rental property, so the mortgage interest rate would be a little bit higher there. So you know Mike's come up with an alternative here, which I never really thought of, and I think is really fascinating. So what we thought about doing is, if you have a family member, particularly if the family member is a beneficiary of that particular individual, one of the things that the family member could do, of course, you know, they got to have some financial ability to do something about it. But what they could do is they could literally buy the house, but no exchange of money. So in this particular example that we're using, 
uh, the son would need to come up with $50,000. Now, they may get a mortgage, they may do whatever, but if they happen to have the money, or they could take out a home equity line of credit against their own property, and then rent it to their mother. Okay, so you say, well, Jay, in this particular instance, you know, we got a $150,000 mortgage, basically, Alice is the holder of the mortgage. So two things are happening here. You got an exchange of money, but no real exchange of money. In that, let's say the $150,000 mortgage is $1,000 a month. Yep. Okay, it's actually going to be closer to $750 a month. So $750 a month, basically, the son has to pay Angie. Yes. For the mortgage. Yep. Because so yes, so she so you take this two hundred thousand dollar house that has a fifty thousand dollar mortgage on it. The son. So you, what you're saying is you pay off that fifty thousand dollars. Now you're left with a hundred fifty thousand dollar mortgage. Right. As opposed to the bank holding it, you're saying that Angie would remain to be the holder of that mortgage Correct. note. Okay. Correct. Because okay. what you do here is then Angie actually has to report on her taxes the interest that she earns. Now, mind you, I should really be very clear about a disclosure on this, is that these need to be arm's length transactions with contracts yes. in order for them to qualify for being legal. Yep. But if the son basically creates a $150,000 mortgage and they choose a interest rate that's acceptable and call it 3%, yep. basically she's receiving $4,500 a year in interest. The odds are that $4,500 a year is not taxable because she doesn't make enough money. Yep. Okay, so there's a good piece right there. Secondly, is when she sells the property, she's lived in there and she'll have no capital gain. The son goes in there and buys the property and when he's charging her rent, this is a paper, it's just the paper transaction. So what they do is they could just kind of create a spreadsheet. If she's paying $2,000 a month rent, he deducts the $750 mortgage, and effectively what he's doing is reducing her balance of $150,000 by $1,250 a month. Yeah. And just doing that. And if she needs money for whatever reason, she could quote unquote borrow it by dipping in to the balance of that $150,000. So all in, at the end of the day, other than the $50,000 mortgage, if there was no mortgage there at all, that would have been even easier, okay? Because then the son wouldn't have to come up with the 50 grand. Yeah. And so it would still provide the mother or the elderly parent with the not having the need for, or, or, or provides additional cash flow. Okay, because essentially what's really happened here is is the the mother who's selling the home is the, the ultimate goal here is to get rid of that monthly mortgage payment, right? Or to improve her cash or flow. Or to improve cash flow. She yeah. may not have a mortgage payment. Yeah. She may be in a position where um, she just doesn't doesn't have enough to live. I mean, you know, I see that a lot. Yep. The cost of living goes up and their income does not. Yep. So this is kind of a twofold approach of attacking that is all of a sudden she's getting interest. Right, she's getting interest that she can use to help with her cash flow, and she's reducing 
the mortgage payment. All of a sudden, it's 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 still a mortgage payment, but it's coming out of a balance that's owed to her. And in so fact, it's not out of pocket. To a great extent, what we did is we created a flexible reverse mortgage yep. through purchasing it with your son, so you're no longer the owner of the property. And the beauty of it is then, if she passes or decides that she needs to move out of the property, okay, the son can sell the property. And let's assume, for instance, he bought it for 200000 If he turns around and resells it, okay, at potentially a loss, then guess what? Now, all of a sudden, he can write that loss. Even if he sells it for the same price, yep. there are going to be costs associated with selling, yep. realtor costs and everything else like that. So, so this satisfies so many different goals and objectives. And ultimately, Angie gets to stay in her house. Angie either doesn't have a mortgage to pay or can use the equity in her home to almost serve as a private home equity line of credit with her child or children or um, whatever the case may be. It's just a really unique uh, opportunity to accomplish goals and objectives. Again, it comes down to planning. The planning and the goals and objectives and doing it without the bank. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and because you know, you're giving thousands of dollars a year away to the bank. Yep. You're, but for the interest and all of the costs and everything else like that, keep it within the family. Yep. The only, the only real risk or downside to the, the mother selling it would be if she wanted cash, if she wanted, like, you, she'll have a bit availability to that mortgage as almost like a line of credit, if you yes, will. Yes, exactly. But the one thing you have to consider here is if she needed that money in hand in the bank, for some, whatever for reason, whatever course, reason, then course. that's kind of and then it fails. Yeah, but and and the the purchaser, the beneficiary, the son in this case, would also have to be able to have the liquid cash. Where if she did want to take money out of that mortgage and right. redeem it, he has to, that the beneficiary. But at the same time, it. too, yes, it could have been solved by literally him buying the house, yep. getting and a lot of getting a mortgage, house, yep, or, or mortgage something like that, yep. and then she would have walked away with the cash. But this is a way to keep the interest within the family and effectively, you know, in certain cases pay a lesser amount of interest because the elderly is taking it. Yeah. So that's pretty much uh, this particular case study. We run into this, and, and I'm sure just people run into this a lot, where they're looking to sell their home but want to stay in it. There are tax advantages. And again, it's always a good idea to check out the tax advantages, understand all of the different goals and objectives and ways with which you can accomplish these goals and objectives in the most uh, effective manner from every facet. So that's the end of this one. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back from break, we're going to present another case study that kind of goes into the world of insurance planning. Yep. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning.
So call us today for a complimentary, no obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, and my co-host today is Kyle Ryan, Certified Financial Planner, also with my firm. Um, we are continuing the series of um, case studies, and you know, this particular case study is a way of playing around with life insurance. Um, life insurance is a tool that can and should be used as overall part of the six areas of financial planning. And the thing that I have found uh, in the industry, which kind of makes the hair stand up in the back of my neck, but that's a separate issue, is a, a lot of people believe that, uh, say a lot of people, a lot of salesmen use life insurance as the solution to any problem. Um, I tend to disagree. Life insurance has its purpose. And generally speaking, during a person's lifetime, um, when they're working and, and have dependents, the purpose of life insurance is to protect their family from the what-if scenario, okay? And the what-if scenario is, you know, what if they die and they've got dependents relying on their income? Basically, it's an income replacement tool. Yep. So two different types of insurance, fundamentally, are term yep. and permanent. Term insurance is exactly what it is, term. It's oftentimes 10-year term, 15-year term, 20-year term, or 30-year term, which you're only paying for the insurance itself. Yep, most bang for your buck. Right, exactly. And is typically targeted during the years with which you think you need it, okay? And which is generally speaking, when do you need insurance is an income replacement tool. Yep. And... As you grow older, the income replacement diminishes a little bit, okay, partly because of the fact that you'll have accumulated assets and hopefully reduced your debt, like your mortgage is going away, you're accumulating assets, and the amount of time between your dependents and, and retirement is getting shorter and shorter, so the income replacement is for a lesser period of time. So the, the, the replacement need kind of goes down with time, but if you replace an income, when you're no longer earning income, it significantly diminishes the need for life insurance. Yes. Yep. So we have typically been uh, proponents of utilizing term insurance because as Kyle pointed out, it's the best bang for your buck. However, permanent life insurance has its roles. And one of the main, in my opinion, is state planning. Because the purpose of permanent life insurance, and those are the types that have a cash value, and people, you know, you hear whole life. Well, okay, whole life, go back 30, 40 years ago, that was the only thing there was. And there's now, like Baskin Robbins, but not really. There's a handful of flavors. You got variable universal life, universal life, index universal life. They're just different methods with which the cash value accumulates inside the policy. And I like to reference a uh, whole, uh, a permanent insurance policy behaves a little bit like a mortgage, but in reverse. 
and that you're overpaying it early on to help pay for it later when the cost of insurance goes up, yep. but a separate issue. So we use it routinely for estate planning and legacy planning, okay? Legacy planning for people who say, hey, I want to leave my children or whomever a benefit. And in that case, you know, it's perfect because it's not term insurance is if you die, permanent insurance is when you die, okay? So they have their place. Now, sometimes you come across people who already have insurance policies, the, the permanent insurance policies, or are being sold a permanent insurance policy when in fact it may not necessarily be exactly what they're looking for. But again, everything comes down to, as we always preach, what are your goals and objectives? So I came across a situation one time, and here I am saying it's a particular situation. I, I yeah, okay, we had an idea, we, something came across, and we kind of messed around with it so that we could serve as a hypothetical case scenario that touches upon some different things. So in this particular instance, we have a married couple in their early 50s, okay, and the mom said, hey, uh, you know, I wanted to buy a life insurance policy that would give $100,000 to my kids for when I die. I said, okay, great, but tell me more about it. So she told me this actually after the, she had already met with somebody who came up with the solution of generating a $100,000 life insurance policy. I was like, okay. Um, I said, let's talk about it. You know, and that's when she told me, look, I would like to save and have $100,000 for my kids when I die. I'm like, okay. So we explored a little bit, and lo and behold, we uncovered another life insurance policy on her husband. In this particular instance, he had a $200,000 variable universal life policy, which means it has investments in it. He'd been contributing to it for quite some time. Um, it's like $200 a month. That's not a term. That's a permanent policy. That is correct. Yep. That is correct. Yep. Has a cash value in it. He'd been paying $200 a month into the policy and you know, for plenty of years and through a lot of growth years, et cetera, et cetera. It's within investments. And so he actually had a cash value of close to 60 grand in the policy, okay? And so we explored the policy a little bit further, and it turns out in talking to the insurance company that they're required to maintain cost basis, almost like a stock, if you will. You know, how much did you pay for the stock? If you sell it, then you have to pay taxes on the growth. Well, they do the same thing with life insurance policies, okay? So if you have a life insurance policy that has a $60,000 cash value, it has a cost basis of 20, if you die, again, using this example, you have a $200,000 life insurance policy. If I have that policy and I die, my beneficiaries get $200,000 cash free. The cash value is meaningless and the cost basis is meaningless. Where it comes into play is if I say, I don't want this insurance policy anymore. Give me my 60 grand. Well, if you do that, then what happens is I'm subject to taxation on that 40 grand as ordinary income. However, kind of like, maybe not like, but what you also have the ability to do if you wanted to, 
is you could take a loan against the policy. And I've seen policies with loans, which is silly because the interest rate on the loan is greater than the amount of money that you're earning uh, that you're earning on the money, and it's basically slowly nibbling and eating away at your cash value. Yep. But you also have the ability to take a withdrawal, okay? And if you took a withdrawal from the policy, you can withdraw just like you're canceling the policy, but you can withdraw up to the cost basis and pay no tax on it. It's almost like a Roth IRA. That's what I was looking for. It's like a Roth IRA, okay? Where in this particular instance, we use the example that if a $60,000 policy, we could take $20,000, which is cost basis, and just pull the money out. Cool. Here's another thing you can do with life insurance policies, okay? Is you can do what's referred to as a 1035 exchange. It's yeah. 1035. And by the way, it refers to what code of the IRS? Let me guess, 1035. <laughs> See, this is why I bring him along. Okay, 1035. So IRS section, you know, 1035. Uh, and 1031 is what you hear for real estate properties, estate, yeah. where you can sell one, buy another, and you transfer the cost basis over. So what we did is we explored what you want to do here. So interestingly enough, in a situation like this, we were able to create a really, really nifty solution. Okay, so we took a look at him and said, is there a better way with which we could use this $200,000 life insurance policy? Now, what happens sometimes is that you have some of these older life insurance policies that may be based upon mortality tables with higher costs of insurance, which this was. It was like 20 years old. Yep. And so we may be able to actually buy an insurance policy that has a lesser mortality table. So lo and behold, we were able to find a permanent insurance policy that allowed us to put $40,000 into the policy for a corresponding $200,000 life insurance policy and make no more payments. All right, so now let's think about this one for a minute. $200,000, I'm paying $200 a month. Or 200000 and I'm not paying anything. I don't know. You might like spending that extra money, giving it to the <laughs> insurance company. So, plus grabbing the 20 grand out. Yep. Okay? So, that didn't solve our, you know, this just, this was a no by the way. So, then we explored, and there's another type of policy that's out there called a survivorship universal life policy which basically pays upon the death of the second person, which means that both people have to die in order for it to pay out, which in exploring their goals and objectives, it was intended to be a legacy. We decided, let's look at a survivorship universal life policy, which we did. We were able to get a $250,000 survivorship universal life policy for $150 a month really $1,800 a year. So we said, hey, I got an idea. We take the, the $20,000 from the one life insurance policy, plop it into an investment account. We take the $200 a month that they were otherwise contributing to the one life insurance policy. We contribute to the investment account. Yep. And then every year out of that investment account, we peel out the $1,800 
pay the premiums on the $250,000 policy. So if you really look at before and after, is before we had a $200,000 life insurance policy on the husband that he was paying $200 a month. After, we had the same $200,000 life insurance policy and we picked up a $250,000 survivorship universal life policy and a $20,000 investment account that continues to grow moving forward. Now, again, I kind of changed some of the facts of the case to, to incorporate things, but when it comes to this type of planning, you can evaluate it. So, love to be able to chat about this longer, but we're out of time for this particular segment, and I hope that this kind of provoked some ideas, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, signing off again, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner, and I'm here with Kyle. Ryan, also a certified financial planner with Manager and Associates Financial Planning. If you ever come across situations where you have questions, please feel free to give us a call. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.